Okay, Deuteronomy 24, and we once again are with the children of Israel. They are camped out on the east side of the Jordan River. They have been wandering in the desert for 40 years since being delivered from Egypt. Uh, militarily, they're ready. Spiritually, they're not. And thus, the reason for the book of Deuteronomy, a, uh, a sermon, or some say a series of sermons by Moses, uh, which is given for the purpose of building them up so that they can survive in the land. Uh, you know, a country, a nation, uh, economically and militarily may have it all together, but if they don't uh, have it together spiritually and morally, their sin will consume them. And so uh, here you have it in uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, we are going to be looking at a few things this morning, including marriage, how important marriage is uh, in order for a nation to survive and to build itself. And uh, we have a lot to learn as marriage is in the decline in the United States of America. But before we be uh, begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for this opportunity, uh, Lord, because what applied to the Israelites uh, 3,500 years ago uh, applies to us today that, Lord, we uh, desperately need uh, to take a fresh view of marriage, the sanctity of marriage, the building block of marriage. And so, Father, speak to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. So, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 Moses says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then his former husband who has divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been de defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Uh, and so uh, this does uh, raise one question, and that is, uh, is the Lord, is he okay with divorce here? Uh, one might read this and say, well, apparently uh, the Lord is okay with uh, divorce. He seems to be sanctioning it here. Uh, well, Jesus addresses that directly in uh, Matthew, among other places, Matthew 19. Uh, he uh, is approached by a number of Pharisees, which apparently, uh, referring to this very verse that we're in today, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus responds to them and says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And they said to him, why then did uh, Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning... It was not so. And so what is clear here 
there's actually a very important principle. We've mentioned it throughout that here in <clears throat> the book of uh, Deuteronomy, uh, as well as the law handed down in Exodus, God is reintroducing himself uh, to the world. It had been more or less knowledge of him had been cut off uh, at about the time of Abraham, and he's reintroducing himself to the world through the Israelites, and he's not going to do the whole thing overnight. In other words, he's not going to just say outright, uh, you're, you're, uh, all divorce is, is prohibited because uh, they're just not there yet, and that's not how the Lord does things. And uh, there are certain accommodations like that. By the way, polygamy is another example. It's never uh, been the plan of God to have multiple spouses. But uh, God uh, doesn't, in these things, uh, change, the change the nation overnight or ask them to change overnight, but makes certain accommodations so that over time, by the Spirit, uh, these things will be worked out. Now, uh, some believe, and I think it makes a lot of sense, that uh, there was no divorce practice by the children of Israel prior to Egypt, but it's something that was picked up over the 400 uh, to 450 year period in Egypt. And I think that makes a lot of sense. If, in fact, if you look at the um, state of the church today in the United States, uh, no-fault divorce came in uh, to practice uh, in the United States, I think in the 60s or the early 70s. And uh, so the amount of divorces, uh, the percentage of divorces uh, amongst married couples skyrocketed. And so uh, it skyrocketed uh, in the church as well. And so uh, we're called, however, to be separate. We're called, however, to be holy and uh and uh, to do so, uh, I think we, we look at what the, what the Word of God says. Now, Jesus says in the beginning it was not so. Here in chapter 24, verse 1, it's permitted, uh, but it says here, if he has found, or because, or if he has found some uncleanness in her, uh, he can get a divorce. Of course, it's not required uh, that he get a divorce if he finds uncleanness in her. Uh, no more is it required today for someone to get a divorce if there's been unfaithfulness in the marriage. But uh, it begs the question, what does uncleanness mean? And so, uh, unfortunately, as the Jews uh, in the time between the uh, time that Moses got this law and the time, the time that Jesus came onto the scene, the Jews had um, a, a terrible religious habit and practice of uh, making reams and reams and reams of laws out of uh, something like this, and that they certainly did in this case. The school of Hillel uh, would went through great lengths as to precisely what a, a man could, why a man could, or justification uh, for a man to uh, divorce his wife, uh, among others, if she burnt his food or spoiled it over salting, so over salting it or um, burning it, uh, this type of thing, uh, and the list went on and on, and. Uh, Jesus, I believe, clarifies it here because as he did uh, on many occasions, he quoted Deuteronomy. I think he's referring directly uh, to this verse in chapter uh, 19 of the book of Matthew, where he says in verse 9, he says, I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, meaning fornication, not adultery, because that would mean stoning. And so there wouldn't be any divorce. There would be a stoning, but uh, something less than adultery and marries uh, another commits adultery. And whoever marries, marries her who is divorced uh, commits adultery. So, uh, so what is almost certainly the case here 
and I think we use the Bible to interpret the Bible, is some kind of, uh, when Moses refers to, in verse 1, to some kind of uncleanness, he's speaking towards some kind of untoward or inappropriate or flirtation or worse with someone other than her husband. And uh, if that was the case, he wasn't required, but <clears throat> he could write uh, a certificate of divorce. Uh, and um, it says here, it, it, it clearly um, allows for the fact that uh, that person, that wife, can go out and get remarried. Now, I... I uh, I'm quite aware of John Piper and others, including others I respect who, and, and I have a lot of respect for John Piper, who feels like Christians should never get remarried uh, on the basis of what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 19, that uh, if a Christian gets divorced, they should never uh, get remarried. Actually, they say it on the basis of... Uh, in, in the book of Mark and the book of Luke, Jesus says just flat out, whoever divorces his wife and uh, marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Uh, no qualification there. But I believe there is a qualification, and that is in Matthew 19, when there has been sexual immorality, uh, there is... Uh, can be remarriage. At least that's what I believe that Jesus is saying here. Now, they have the, uh, as I understand it, John Piper and others uh, reached the conclusion that Matthew uh, 19 it is not inconsistent with Luke and Mark. It's not um, adding a qualification uh, that what it's talking here is but about is betrothal. Um, it's talking about betrothal, and uh, they bring up the example of uh, Joseph uh, thinking that he had to divorce Mary, even though he was just, um, even though he was just uh, uh, betrothed to her. He was thinking, "Well, do I need to divorce her?" And they are of the opinion that uh, Matthew, I mean, rather Luke and Mark, are they stand uh, alone on themselves, and uh, it says clearly there cannot be remarried, and that Matthew here, because it's bringing up fornication, is talking about something different. Well, I disagree with that, because again, I think Jesus is talking, referring directly to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, and Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, clearly is talking about marriage, not betrothal here. And uh, he says that in the case of uncleanness, there is divorce allowed. And so uh, I do believe remarriage uh, is permitted. I do, I, I, I feel more importantly, really, and, and some of you have heard me teach on this before, I, I believe Christians have, are just making a huge mistake getting into a quagmire of, of uh, interpretation on this thing on when... Uh, remarriage is allowed. John chapter 1 uh, makes very clear in verse 17, it says, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jesus didn't come to uh, make new laws. And so uh, to say that Jesus made a new law regarding remarriage, that's not what he did. He said he didn't do that. Uh, he said he didn't do come for the purpose of doing away with the law, uh, and by implication, adding to it. He, he came uh, to fulfill the law, and grace and truth came through him. So any time uh, a New Testament uh, expositor comes up with a New Testament law, I think that they are in error. And so uh, we shouldn't go be going beyond the law, uh, more importantly, in, in the in the area of of remarriage, I, I I think that there needs to be an honest uh, an honest look into different circumstances um, as to if there has been a divorce, is there really 
been repentance and brokenness on the part of the person who is divorced? And is there a desire for restoration of their previous marriage? Um, if there is real brokenness and there is the situation where there would be a desire to remarry their former spouse if they were open, I think that remarriage is allowed under the doctrine of, of grace uh, and that we uh, should not be making up New Testament laws uh, about remarriage. I think that uh, supremely what Jesus is doing the, uh, uh, in the book of Luke and the book of Mark, he's giving people a picture of how ugly how terrible divorce is in the eyes of God, uh, particularly uh, divorce and remarriage where there's been no repentance. There's just sort of willy-nilly uh, divorce, remarriage, divorce, remarriage, divorce, remarriage. He's giving a picture of, uh, of, of really how ugly it is in the eyes of God. It's, it's, it's as if uh, you know, the, the remarried people are just... The, who are unbroken and unrepentant are just um, continuing to commit adultery. And so uh, that is the, the view of, uh, of the Lord towards marriage. You know, in, in uh, back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, I, I think that what is going on here is the Lord is really telling the nation of Israel, look, don't have, you can't, you must never have a casual uh, view towards marriage, no matter what you saw in Egypt. And, uh, and so the idea here is, look, if you divorce someone because of uncleanness, okay, but if that woman goes out, gets married to another, uh, or and that person divorces her or that person dies, she can't come back to you. And it's a way of saying, look, if you do this divorce, it's permanent. You need to think really, really, really carefully about whether or not you divorce this woman. No casual view towards marriage. And, uh, you know, a beautiful commentary uh, on this verse is Jeremiah 3, verse 1. Uh, which says this, God speaking towards the nation of Israel, uh, is referring to the same verse in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. He says, If a man put away his wife, and she go from him, and become another man's, shall he return to her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me saith the Lord. So an incredible picture um, of the love of God, where he's basically saying, um, okay, I, I am going to uh, cast away this law in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it, 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 in the case of you, Israel, because I love you so much, though you have uh, were married to me once, but played the harlot, went to another lover, come back to me, Israel. So beautiful uh, picture there. Let's continue. It says, verse 5, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and, sh and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Now, from time to time, uh, folks will use verse 5 um, as a reason to get out of all ministry uh, soon after they are married. I would say that that is the equivalent of uh, spiritual genocide, because uh, when you do something like that, what you're saying is that the world revolves around your marriage, and you all, or the world revolves around you. And so um, war is one thing, uh, ministry is another. So if you're out there taking that view, I would seriously 
consider reconsidering it. It's, it's, you know, this is talking about the possibility they're going to go out and die. And so to stop being an usher in a church and leaving your church short changed because you want to just uh, spend all your uh, every waking and free hour with your with your wife or your husband, uh, that to me is nonsense. And so it doesn't mean that there might be some circumstances to, to scale back. I'm not saying that. Uh, but to completely get out of ministry uh, just so you can enjoy each other, that's, uh, that's getting off uh, the marriage uh, onto, off on, a wrong, on the wrong foot, in my opinion. Verse 6, No man shall take the lower or the upper millstone in pledge, for he takes one's living in pledge. And so uh, at the time the people survived, based upon possessing a lower and upper millstone because people survived on on wheat and uh, the kernel had to be crushed by uh, the millstone and if that uh, could not happen they'd starve and so uh, if a person who was poor uh, needed money uh, and a, a rich person or a person of means could not come by and say, okay, I'll give you money, but let me have that millstone uh, because that's uh, essentially uh, causing them uh, to starve to death. Verse 7, if a man is found kidnapping uh, any of his brethren or the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then the kidnapper shall die and you shall put away the evil from among you. And so... Uh, there you see uh, kidnapping as a capital punishment. Uh, interestingly, in the United States, up until 1977, uh, kidnapping was a uh, capital crime. And uh, the Supreme Court uh, overturned uh, a, one of the convictions based upon the, uh, the fact that that was cruel and unusual punishment to put someone to death uh, for kidnapping. Uh, and so, you know, look, I'm not going to go into whether or not the death penalty is right, but uh, I, I do, I am concerned uh, that this country has uh, slowly over the course of time uh, taken a lesser and lesser view uh, towards certain crimes which are, which are heinous, uh, in which some kidnappings are, are heinous. By the way, same thing with rape, it used to be a capital crime, uh, and in 1977 that too was struck down as cruel unusual punishment and so uh, again uh, the concern that the uh, we're in a society of uh, spiritual and moral decline just viewing uh, certain crimes uh, in, in a way differently than uh, the Lord did when the Lord looked at kidnapping it's interesting he looked at it similar to how he looked at murder. Uh, that uh, should be a cause for pause and reflection on our part. Verse uh, 8 says, Take heed in any outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you. Just as I commanded, so you shall be careful to do. And so we spent a considerable amount of time in Leviticus 13 and 14 talking about what the requirements were for leprosy. And uh, he's just with one line here in the book of Deuteronomy saying, hey, remember all that I said. Verse 9, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. Remember uh, Miriam, who was criticizing uh, her brother Moses, uh, was struck with leprosy. Uh, but then when uh, Moses pleaded her cause, uh, she was healed. But um, I think the idea here in verse 9 is, is look, leprosy is an incredibly uh, fearful thing. And so you need to take it really seriously and follow all the ceremonial laws. If someone comes down with, uh, rather ceremonial and uh, san sanitary laws. If someone comes down with leprosy, they need to be isolated. 
doing this for the protection uh, of the nation of Israel. Once they were in the promised land, uh, they needed to not only be built up spiritually, but they needed to survive physically. Verse 10, when you uh, lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to take to get his pledge, meaning that uh, the rich can't uh, the rich and powerful can't just take advantage of, of something and of some of a poor person and just if they lent a poor person some something they can't uh, barge into uh, the person's house and just grab it away here is God protecting the vulnerable and we have this strange sense of, of justice in our mind well you know if someone's refusing to give something back and they're not opening up the door and I know they have something uh, inside the house that is mine I should be able to just crash through the door and uh, you know and and get what is mine and so that's our twisted sense of sort of justice but of course all that does is escalate things violence and murder uh, and killing may be the result and so uh, the Lord is saying uh, this is the fairness and justice of God uh, some of you may remember that O.J. Simpson the famous football player he was um, acquitted, acquitted on uh, criminal charges of uh, of murdering his wife, uh, but uh, a number of years later, he actually went to jail because uh, he did just this. Uh, some folks had some of his belongings, and he knew where they were. They were in a hotel room, and he barged into the hotel room and uh, to seize his belongings. And uh, he was actually um, he was actually put in jail for that. In fact, I think the charges were kidnapping because. He didn't let the people go, but um, uh, I think there were other charges as well, but that's what he was busted for. Uh, verse 11 says, Rather you shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. Verse 12, And if a man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. In other words, whether he pays you back or not, you can't keep someone's... Um, uh, pledge overnight. It goes on to explain in verse 13, you shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you and it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. And so the idea there is uh, you lend a poor man money, he gives you his uh, cloak as security, uh, whether or not he has paid you back, you got to give that cloak back at sundown. Other, otherwise, he may freeze to death at night. An indication here, perhaps the person is so poor, they need to uh, stay out on the street. And really, there's just a, a good view into the heart of God here. So the poor man who gets his cloak back, even though he did not pay back the money, is thanking God for you because of your mercy, uh, that will cause, it says here, that will say, it says, it will be righteousness to you, meaning it will delight the heart of God for a, a poor man to be praising the Lord uh, for you, to, uh, for you, or about you, because you returned his cloak, even though you hadn't gotten your money back. And so, a great view into the heart of God here, we do need to be uh, liberal giving souls not tied down to our money and and the loans that we may give out verse 14 you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is uh, in your land within your gates each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it be sin to you. So once again, we see the heart of God here towards the vulnerable, towards the the disadvantaged. And, you know, I, I, I think it really comes down to one thing, and that is... Uh, just going back to 
the book of Genesis where it says in the book of Genesis, it says in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And uh, God made man in his image. And uh, therefore, uh, therefore, we need to always remember, uh, particularly with the vulnerable, that this is an image bearer. This is a man or woman made in the image of God. We need to take that extremely seriously and so seriously that it, it, it says here that if we neglect a vulnerable person in some way and that person cries out to God against you, God may judge you for it. And I believe this is for today, the year 2018. Uh, this is um, a moral law that carries into the New Testament. We cannot take advantage of the vulnerable. They are made in the image of God. And so uh, they are image bearers. And we need to have a great fear of God and, and make sure that we're not um, just taking advantage of them. You know, sometimes um, you get this idea that... Uh, some folks think that capitalism is equivalent to Christianity. And capitalism certainly has its many advantages. And uh, it, I think the arguments are, are very strong that uh, it results in a more um, stable, virtuous society uh, than, for example, socialism. Uh, but uh, there are... It, 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 it's still, it's a human system that lends itself to corruption anyway. Uh, in Revelation chapter 18, God judges commercial Babylon, capitalist Babylon, uh, in which uh, commerce becomes more important than people. And so uh, capitalism does particularly, well, right on up to today, but if you look at the late 1900s when in the Industrial Revolution, what, uh, what rich people... Uh, and people of means were willing to do to to children and to and to laborers and to immigrants uh, in terms of uh, trying to to maximize their profit. It, it's just outrageous, and and this is a very serious thing here. Uh, if they cry out to the Lord against you, it will be sin to you, and so we need to. We need to keep that in mind. And so here, particularly in the city in Boston, where uh, we have homeless people uh, everywhere uh, that you go and other people, mentally disabled people walking the streets, we need to be really, really careful uh, in how we treat these people because they were made in the image of God. Okay, verse 16 says, Father... Uh, shall not be put to death for their children or children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. So uh, apparently in pagan uh, societies, they would uh, just wipe out everybody uh, for their uh, for their sins. And uh, this particularly happened with, with governments and things like this where uh, a government, uh, some would be overthrown, a king would be overthrown, and just any relative would be uh, put to death. And so uh, the Lord here is saying, nope, uh, you can only put to death uh, the the person for their own wickedness. You, you, you can't put to death, for example, their children. Verse 17, you shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. And so, not only were uh, the vulnerable, uh, are they made in the image of God, there's also this concept of, you need to remember that there was a time in your life where you were just like them. 
there was a time in your history where you were uh, just as vulnerable, just as easily taken advantage of um, as them, and to treat them in uh, in any other way than with fairness and kindness is to be a hypocrite. To treat because uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, this is part of your history, and you should be uh, treating. Uh, them how you would have treated your own forefathers if you were in a position of being able to bless them. And so verse 19 says, when you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go back over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And so, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, therefore, I command you to do this thing. And so you are allowed uh, one time at the harvest and God here remembering the poor. You know, the idea here is that a stingy heart leads to a hard heart. And again, he wants the children of Israel to go into the land of Israel uh, and prosper there. But uh, a, a nation only prospers so much if they have stingy, hard hearts. Uh, you know, it does uh, uh, make me uh, tremble in fear sometimes. Uh, the the current administration uh, of this country and their attitude towards refugees. Not talking about immigrants for for the moment. Just refugees, those who are fleeing terror or war and stuff like this, and the immigration and the rather the 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 policies have been greatly restricted uh, even for refugees. Now that really makes me fear because I read this verse um, up in verse 15 which says you better watch out if someone cries out against you to the Lord. I think of perhaps some of these refugees fleeing Syria that can't get into this country. Wow, if they're crying out to the Lord, curse the United States all I can say is, uh, Lord, have mercy on us. We certainly don't deserve it, though. Uh, and so we uh, want to pray for that the administration changes its views, uh, at least towards, uh, towards refugees who are in an incredibly vulnerable uh, state, living in massive uh, refugee camps in various places, including, as I understand, Greece right now. But Uh, in addition to refugees fleeing Myanmar. Uh, chapter 25 says that there is a dispute between men, and they come to court that the judges may judge them, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, according to his guilt, with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may give him, and no more, lest he should exceed him and beat him with many blows above these, and your brother be humiliated in your sight. So here, even when the wicked are vulnerable, the Lord is saying, look, uh, they need to be protected too. They need to, they're, they're made in the image of, of God, of me, of God, and I don't want you to go too far in their punishment. Uh, it actually says, lest they be humiliated. Well, why wouldn't we want to humiliate a, a wicked man? Because he's made, been made in the image of God. Uh, note also there that the beating had to take place in the presence of the judge. And so um, the, that is a protection of, you know, just being taken off and being... Uh, away from the judge without, uh, you know, outside of his eye with, 
not him not being able to witness and and then just beating him an unlimited amount of times perhaps to death and so uh, a protection there even against the wicked who uh, though he may be wicked though we may be wicked uh, he is made in the image of God <coughs> Jesus the question comes up whether how many times uh, Jesus was uh, whipped by the Roman scourge. I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, the, he was beaten by the Romans. There, that the Jews didn't even ask for the beating. Uh, the Pilate hoped that maybe the beating would suffice, uh, but it wasn't. It did not suffice. But uh, we should not just conclude that Jesus was beaten only 40, 40 times. Uh, the Romans could have cared less about the Jewish law, and it could very well be that he was beaten more times than that. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you see Paul himself, he was beaten by the Jews uh, 40 times minus 1, 39. They did that lest they miscounted, but, um, but Jesus, we don't know. Verse 4, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And so there was the practice uh, of an ox uh, on a threshing uh, floor where uh, in order to loosen the edible part of grain from the husks and straw to which it attached, uh, they would, um, uh, they, this would be done by uh, putting one of the methods they used to use was to, to put the wheat uh, on a threshing floor and have uh, oxen walk all over it in circles over and over again on the grain uh, and then once the the husks or the kernels were uh, were broken and the, the wheat came out or per, a better way of saying it, the kernels would come out the edible kernels would come out then they would uh, throw uh, everything up into the wind and the chafe would go one way and uh, the grain would go another way. Uh, but uh, that was the practice. So the oxen walking around and, and crushing uh, the uh, the hus in order for the, the kernels, the edible kernels to come out. Here it says, don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, meaning, again, another interesting view into the heart of God just towards creatures which he created, which uh, after he created them, it says, uh, he says that he was pleased, it was good. And you don't want to be working an ox all day with no way to feed the ox. And so uh, you need to feed it. Now, uh, this is used by Paul in at least two places, one in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, speaking of wages for the minister of a flock, uh, it says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians uh, 9, it says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it not oxen? Is it only oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? And then it says, um, in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, it is a great thing if we reap your material things. And uh, in the same way in First Timothy, uh, speaking of elders, chapter 5, verse 17, says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. And so, uh, not a good idea to let your pastor starve or let your pastor and his wife be so concerned about making a living that they can't minister to you, that they can't uh, devote themselves entirely to the uh, reading of the, the... rather the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, I, I remember in seminary uh, once, I did go to a couple of years of seminary, 
And uh, one of the seminary professors says that it was his experience that many churches, at least in the South, this was in the South at the time, was in Georgia, but uh, that they would uh, take a poll and they try to figure out who made uh, the least amount of money in the church. And then um, they would take that person and reduce the wages by $2,000 under that. And that's what they would give the pastor. And uh, tragically, that uh, is the spirit uh, that too many churches in the past uh, have had. I do think that that, uh, that attitude is changing. In fact, it's much better to find sort of the median wage, uh, that type of thing. Myself here in Boston, our, um, our church uh, tries to peg my salary to an assistant principal of the Boston Public School. So, uh, but, uh, you know, there's going to be useful ways to try to figure out a pastor's salary uh, in order for uh, him not to be burdened in that way. It's the last thing you want to do. You want, when the ox is treading out the grain, you want it to be well fed. Verse 5 says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her Take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn shall, uh, the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, and his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refused to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his, of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stand firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandals from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. And so that was um, a, a sort of an action that uh, of great insult to, to remove the sandal, also to obviously to, to spit in the face. It's just a tremendous insult. So here you have it really the importance um, at the time of, uh, of allowing a man to maintain his name in the nation uh, of Israel. And if uh, he died, uh, his brother uh, was required, uh, well actually he wasn't required, uh, but was charged to uh, take over the responsibility of 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 continue his name uh, in in Israel, and so uh, quite stark here. Of course, the Sadducees use this against Jesus um, to present to him the uh, absurd uh, kind of situation where uh, you know they asked him. The Sadducees did not believe. That there was such a thing as a resurrection in heaven, and they used uh, this as an example. If six or seven times, I forget what the number was, uh, uh, the brothers died, and the, the a woman was married to, to all six or seven, whose wife uh, was she in heaven? And what did Jesus say? He said, You know neither the scriptures or the power of God. Uh, that's really interesting. Not only the scripture, but the power of God. When you start uh, twisting around Scripture, you—it's clear that you—you're—you're you're unfamiliar with the power of God. And then he just went on to say, "There is no marriage in heaven." But uh, so uh, there you have it. Just the importance of uh, maintaining the family name. Verse 11, if two men fight together and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals. Here you have it, uh, you know, the Bible. Uh, who needs to go to, to, to movies to, to, to see uh, things that are, um, that are uh, really... Uh, heavy, 
here it is right in the Bible that that heaviness, the the realness of life here. Uh, verse twelve says, "Then you shall cut off her hand; your eye shall not pity her." And so, uh, those are verses that uh, need not be explained. Uh, look, you can defend your husband, uh, but there needs to be respect in your fighting. Verse thirteen: You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Look, if, if they go into the promised land and there's this kind of corruption, they're not going to last long. Their sin will consume them. They will call out the judgment of uh, the law of the Lord on them. As it says in verse 16, for all who do such things or, or who behave unrighteously are an abomination to the Lord your God. Verse 17 says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. Remember, uh, he came through the, the Amalekites. Actually, it says in verse 18, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. And so there's, there's this key again, the, the, the God protecting and honoring the vulnerable. Uh, if you read the writings of Nietzsche, who uh, Nietzsche was more or less uh, Hitler's Bible, uh, Nietzsche despised all this about Christianity, taking care of the vulnerable, taking care of the disabled, taking care of, uh, of the blind and, uh, and the sick. All those things were um, an outdated, perverse idea. Uh, we should be wiping out all those people and uh, creating an, an Aryan society. Uh, well, uh, deeply rooted, uh, it was not only Christianity, deeply rooted in Judaism, in the Pentateuch, and here in Deuteronomy, that uh, the weak and the vulnerable are to be specially honored. It says that in 1 Corinthians 14 in a church, that the, 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 the weak among you are to be honored uh, not just the the people that have all the most, the best gifts or the the strongest gifts or the most public gifts it's it's the weak among you and that is a reflection um, of the love and the mercy of god himself and so uh the amalekites oh my uh they uh they they're really subject to judgment here. Verse 19, And therefore shall it be when the Lord your God has given you rest from the enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from among heaven you shall not forget. So there's a serious judgment on the Amalekites. Remember Saul was told to completely wipe out the Amalekites and he did not, and as a result, the kingdom was torn out of his hand. And so, uh, once God, once there is a decree of judgment um, by the Lord, He is serious about it. And uh, so, the Amalekites uh, who did that, and, and, and sure enough, they were blotted out. You wouldn't, will not be able to find an Amalekite uh, in the world today, no matter how far you travel and how hard you look. Uh, because, uh, again, the word of the Lord is firm, it's fixed forever. So there you have it. Uh, we will pick up next time in Deuteronomy chapter 26. God bless you.